Yeah. Uh-huh. Alibamu Bantu. Tabila. Bantu. Try.
uh, to get on board with Live from the Plantation because these are the platforms that we use to get our voices out. You know, there's a lot of people out there, you hear them say, we are their voices, and we say, no, nah, we are our own voices. You know, we just need y'all to assist us, people like Max, Brother Utah, Abolition Today, and the great organizations that uh, sponsor these programs. You know, send your donations to them. We're going to uh, allow Max in just a minute to let y'all know how y'all can send funds to you continue to support the work that they're doing the support that they're doing for us and how you can um, support what we got going on from the inside. But right here on this platform, uh, you all can assist by sending your donations to, to Brother Max Abolition today so that they can help allow us to continue to get our voices out because they are not trying to speak for us. They're not trying to be our voice. They understand that we want to speak for ourselves. Uh, we are our best spokesperson. And so that's what we're asking y'all to do to uh, assist um I guess we'll start with the, uh, on the on the national scene. Everybody's pretty much still gripped by the uh, uh, election. Looks like uh, Jim, Crow, Jim Crow Joe Biden, who has locked up more black men um, in recent history than anyone with the legislation that he passed, not just the 1994 crime bill, but the other legislation around that, the uh, Prison Litigation Reform Act. Anti-terrorism effective death penalty act and the legislation that he passed in the mid '80s, uh, you know, violent crimes and all of that. He just the compilation, his his portfolio of black bodies, brown bodies, uh, private prisons, making money, building prisons. His 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 his, his, um, his body of work is unmatched. And here it is that this man, like I saw earlier, post said this person has received the most votes in history of presidential elections. So that should tell you why this fight against the 13th Amendment and the bodies of slavery is so important. The person who has did the most to to carry that into this modern age that we're in just received the most votes in history. So that's the climate that we're living in. Um, the state of New Jersey today released over 2,000 people, almost 2,300 people, or 15% of the total prison population in response to legislation that they were able to get passed uh, in light of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, in addition, uh, the state of New Jersey passed a ballot initiative uh, that is allowing them to pass anti to to put anti-slavery language um, into their state's constitution. The state of Utah, state of New Jersey, um, like I just said, state of Nebraska also um, added anti-slavery language in their constitutions to to match that of Colorado. So we now have um, four states that have added this language to their constitution. Uh, to explicitly um, abolish and ban the practice of slavery in their state, um, so we're 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 seeing a lot of momentum. Uh, the state of California, they passed a bill that's allowing anyone that served their time, they're out of their own probation or parole, they're now being allowed to vote. You know, for what it's worth, for those people who want to participate in their process, they now have that option. They're no longer disenfranchised or denied of the opportunity to make that decision. Uh, in the state of Rhode Island, we see that they're removing the name Plantation, which many people probably didn't even know. Rhode Island was Rhode Island Plantation until yesterday, a day before yesterday when they had their election. So that name is being removed from the name of the state of Rhode Island. So uh, in Alabama, passed Amendment 4, which allows them to remove racist language from the state constitution 
to restructure the Constitution, to put it in order. They're fixing to do some, some cosmetic changes, but they're also doing some fundamental changes. But we have to make sure that it's understood that Article One, Section 2 of the Alabama Constitution also must be repealed, amended, whatever, you know, it has to be removed. The, the, the language, the slave, the slavery exception, voluntary servitude language in the Alabama Constitution has to be included in Amendment 4. And it's our job to make sure that that's, that that's understood by these legislators and the people who will be submitting the recompilation in 2022 of what the new Alabama Constitution looks like. That language is the most racist language in the Constitution. There's nothing more racist in the Alabama Constitution than language that allows the continuation of the enterprise of slavery. You know, so that's the work that we're going to have to uh, uh, con uh, consolidate around uh, in addition to the other things that we're doing on the inside uh, to abolish slavery. You know, because that's what we're fighting against, too. So I uh, just wanted to give you all an update on some of those things. Uh, we appreciate all the great work that the abolitionist community, uh, people coming together, um, fighting for this worthy cause. And uh, we're going to continue that fight. And uh, we're going to continue to keep our eye on not just the, the election, because the election is just one part of the process. After that, then comes the policy. Then comes the law. Then comes the things that. Uh, we should have been fighting for as African people here. We've been voting for all this time. We are, we are, you know, foundational Americans. We've been here over four, five, over 500 years. Uh, in this modern time, you know, we've been here forever. You know what I'm saying? But in the, in the, in the current version of history that we're talking about, uh, we've been here over 400 years, and so we should not still be having these conversations. We should not still be engaging in these political arenas with no power, with no return on our investment, with just us being participants in a system that's benefiting others. And so uh, we, were, we were fortunate to have the conversation come out around Ice Cube, uh, the contract with Black America, even if you don't agree with it. If you agree or disagree, the, the, the fact that he was able to force these conversations to be held, to force people to pay attention to what we're receiving from these people that we continue to keep running to the polls for was very important. And so when you start looking at that, then you start looking around at other things. You're like, wow, uh, what about over here? What about over here? So whatever it is that you got going on that made you place your vote for either party, make sure that you hold the people accountable that you gave your vote to, you know, for whatever it is that you gave them, because they're going to receive a benefit from your vote. See, that's the thing about it. They're going to receive a benefit from your vote. But the question is, are you going to receive a benefit from your vote? And only you can answer that question because only you know what you wanted for your vote. You know, if the only thing you wanted for your vote was to see one person, Donald Trump, be cast to the side and Joe Biden to be put in office, so if you just wanted to see Joe Biden not go in office and Donald Trump to remain in office, if that's all you wanted for your vote, then you are you are 100% a winner and a 100% loser because you ain't going to get nothing out of it. But for those people who cast that vote because they wanted to receive something from their vote and not just from the presidential election, but for all the other issues. If you cast a vote uh, to make sure that the racist language was moved from the Alabama Constitution, then you need to make sure that everything that you consider to be racist in the Constitution is removed from it because that's what you cast your vote for. You know, and for the people in the other states, New Jersey, Nebraska, Utah, if you cast your vote because you wanted that language removed from the, if that's all you wanted was the language removed, then pat yourself on the back. 
But if you understand that that language allowed a system to be in place to continue to carry out that practice, and by your vote you wanted that language to be removed to stop that practice, then you need to make sure that you get what you wanted when you cast your vote. Otherwise, you are participating in a process for no reason at all. No. And so uh, with that, I yield the floor. I'm going to turn it over to Brother Mikael, and then we're going to be enjoying in the host queue by Brother Wise, Brother Kinetic, uh, and all the people. Of course, this is a uh, this is a people-driven show. We want to hear from our guests. All you have to do is press 1, and our, our, our operator will get your call in. So at this time, I'm going to turn the floor over to Brother Mikael. This is Live from the Plantation. Peace, peace, hotel. Man, hey, listen. I'm just glad to be able to uh, be able to have a voice, man, in this struggle. And with it, what I want to do tonight is shine a light on something that we are trying to do. We want to hear and share the stories of our fellow brothers of the struggle on these plantations behind the fence. Uh, we have became a number and a part of an economical system. Therefore, we are looked at as a business product, you know what I'm saying, and not as a human being. Therefore, the things that led us to be incarcerated in the first place, those issues aren't being addressed. The things that caused us to be over-sentenced, the, the, the way that they boxed us in, these issues aren't being addressed. And one of the ways we want to address it is by showing how you were boxed in. What was your case? How did you get to where you at. You see what I'm saying? And we want to hear that story, man. So in regards to that, you got, I'm going to break down a few uh, different avenues. Now, you have, me, myself, I was hit with the felony murder law, all right? So you got this thing where you can be in the vicinity of a crime and not do anything at all, not even know that the crime is about to take place, but be charged as if you committed the crime itself. You know what I'm saying? These are one of the laws they use to box you in in Alabama. Because in other states, they have murder one, murder two, murder three. You know what I'm saying? In any realm, if I was even guilty of what they trying to say that I was guilty of, it would have been a third-degree murder charge, a felony murder charge in a city that would have carried 10 to 15 years. You know what I'm saying? With good time. So you have uh, the accomplice law. You have people being over-sentenced. You have people being boxed in with the bitch, the 446. You got straight-up wrongful convictions, people who did not commit their crime at all. We're looking for brothers who have been striving for rehabilitation and have multiple programs in their jacket but are not getting any recognition for their efforts. You see what I'm saying? All of these different things is what's taking place with us and have taken place with us, but we have not spoken on it. We had a platform to speak on it now. So I'm throwing that out there, man, that I want to hear from y'all, you brothers and sisters that's trapped in this struggle, man, on these plantations with us. Inbox us, man. Call us. Get at us. We want to hear your story, and we want to share your story, man. And we want to make sure that the people understand the intricate details of our situations. You see what I'm saying? Because it's bigger. It's much more broader than the picture that we have a limited amount of time to paint on here weekly. You feel what I'm saying? This thing boils down to, uh, you know, some real raw tactics that these folks can use in conjunction with their caste system. 
And if you don't know what a CAS system is, C-A-S-T-E, in Webster's Dictionary, it is a form of rigid social stratification. In layman's terms, it's a funnel. Use the funnel of particular people into a particular class of society. In our case, we was funneled into a whole new class, an underclass, because not only are we poor and at the bottom of the totem pole, the lower class, but then they demonize us. They make us look like we real monsters, even to our own family members, and we become outcasts amongst our own people. Our own people don't want to deal with us no more. But the truth is we ain't the monsters that they painted the picture for us to look like. They take the ugliest mug shot they can get you. They, they make you scrape your face with a dull razor when you come through the back gate of Kilby. They, they, they like Benu said, they rob you of your manhood, make you bust your butt open, and handle you in such a way, man, that you ain't got nothing but the rawest look you can have on your face. Then they want to take a picture of you, and that's the picture that they want to use to present you to the public along with the trumped-up information in your PSI that they done doctored and padded to present you to these people like you just some type of straight boogeyman, when in reality, you probably ain't never even hurt another individual a day in your life. You might not ain't never touched another human being. You feel what I'm saying? But they got you looking like you just uh, 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 Scarface. You feel me? So we want y'all bros to tell your story, man. We want to hear your story, and we want to condense those stories and put them in a format that they can be shared, man. So please reach us in that regards. And uh, with that being said, man, I don't really have too much more. Uh, I love y'all, man, for real. Everybody that's been coming out to support us every week, all the brothers behind the fence, man, that's standing strong and standing on a square. Man, listen, number love and respect, and our time is here and near, fam. You know what I'm saying? Now's the time. So know that, hey, ain't nobody coming to save us. It's on you. It's on me. Let's put the work in with that, I'm going to turn it over to Bro Wise. Peace. Bro Wise, you still on the line? Connecticut. I believe Bro, I believe bro Wise had to drop off uh, for some reason or another. Uh, uh, peace and blessings to the to the multitudes. Uh, I enter divine cipher on the attribute of Kinetic Justice Amon, uh, representative of the Pre-Alabama Movement. Uh, a real freedom fighter for the brothers uh, throughout the Alabama prison system. Um, and you know what I'm saying? Well, to be clear, uh, those inside of the Alabama prison system and those with loved ones in the Alabama prison system uh, understand uh, some of the sacrifices that uh, brothers have made uh, in regards to this struggle. Uh, the sacrifices that brothers are willing to continue to make uh, in regards to this struggle. So, you know, with that being said, um, my message tonight, uh, I know this is a, a show that's geared towards uh, the people, uh, the callers and so forth, but I, tonight, you know what I'm saying, my mind, my heart been heavy, uh, so I have a message that's directed to, directly to the brothers on the inside. Those, you know what I'm saying, with the AIS numbers, uh, those that's being told what to do uh, at the whim of somebody else, those being denied their humanity uh, for the sake of entertainment. Uh, you know, brothers, you know, Brother Benu spoke on 
uh, a lot of things that's going on in society. Um, Brother Mikael spoke on a lot of uh, the things that brothers on the inside are experiencing. And they're one and the same, you know what I'm saying? Everybody on these slave plantations came from a community. And, you know, most people on these slave plantations will return to a community. Um, that's how, you know, that's the cycle. That's the cycle that they have created. Um, it's a slave system that they've normalized for uh, society to accept. Uh, they stopped calling them slave catchers and started calling them police. Um, you know, we all understand that they started out to chase down slaves and protect uh, the wealthiest property from slaves, which what they do is what they do now. Um, but that system as well, you know, with this, from the police department uh, to the court uh, to the actual plantation, you know this is a system. We can't talk about slavery and just talk about prison. You know what I'm saying? Slavery is bigger than prison. This is the plantation. This is what a, what the revenue is generated. This is what the work is done. But there's a system in place uh, that perpetuates this. Uh, you have police overreaching, planting evidence on people, lying on people. Uh, you have district attorneys overcharging people for the sake of trying to uh, turn uh, friends, brothers, cousins, family members against one another by overcharging these cases and, you know, with the threat, I'm going to give you a million years and so forth for things that they're giving uh, other people, you know, a lot less time, a lot uh, a lot more opportunity for rehabilitation, a lot more opportunity for returning to their communities. And you have these judges that are over-sentencing people. And and the reason that they're over-sentencing people, the reason they're overcharging, over-sentencing, over-reaching all that, it's not about crime and punishment. It's strictly about economics. Yeah, I'm saying there's some things that are done uh, that, you know, there has to be consequences. So we know the divine equation is that, you know what I'm saying, you face with choices, you make a decision, there are going to be consequences. That's universal law. We understand that some things are going to have to have consequences. But what we're stressing is that their answer to addressing communal problems or societal problems is a slave system. They've interposed two things on top of each other and changed the name. And we're going for it. We're embracing this system, and we're saying that he shouldn't have did this and he shouldn't have did that. And we're not accepting the fact that it's wrong out the gate. I love, I love when, when, when I, I'm talking about our great master teacher, Max, deals on, you know, talking about slavery. Because, you know, it's cut and dry with him. You know what I'm saying? Either it's a crime against humanity or it's not. You know what I'm saying? And if it is a crime against humanity, then there's no way to reform it. There's no way to change it and make that better. But we first, before we can admit that it's a crime against humanity, we have to admit that the institution of slavery still exists. Because, you know, just like I was building this cipher earlier today, that if we won't admit that we are spiritually and psychologically sick, we're never going to do the things to heal ourselves as a people. No matter what kind of mental tricks we try, changing your thoughts, uh, try to change your actions, 
you know, it may work for a period of time, but until your spirit is right, you know what I'm saying, the rest of it going to be out of balance. You know what I'm saying? In the song, uh, the God Dawu, in the last verse of the song, you know, Alabama, Bantu, you know what I'm saying, he struck a balance today. You know what I'm saying? But how you weigh up? You know what I'm saying? It's about, you know what I'm saying, you have to balance and you have to weigh up. You have to let your word be your word. You have to stand up for what you believe in and let it be that. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of things that we have to get right, man. We have to admit that we sick psychologically. We've been bamboozled with learned helplessness, Stockholm Syndrome, all kind of psychological weapons being used against us to make us be our own worst enemy. I'm saying science has been played on us. See, we don't think science real. You understand that a dog can be trained and conditioned out of his nature to do whatever his master says, and he'll turn against his own kind for his master because he had, science has been played on him. He's been, he been conditioned out of his nature. He's not himself. He's other than self. And that's us. We other than self because we won't admit that we're sick. We won't admit that we need to heal. We won't admit that slavery still exists. We won't admit that it's inhumane. We have to admit these things in order for us to be able to move forward, for us to be able to say, okay, yeah, that's a problem. We need a solution. Let's implement it. But if you don't accept that we have a problem, then you're going to be lackluster about developing a solution or implementing it because you don't believe that we have a problem. And if you don't believe that Department of Corrections and the criminal justice system is a sham for the institution of slavery, then we got some, you know what I'm saying, we got some work to do. We still need to sit down and study, talk, and do all this if you can't come to terms with that in 2020. Because it's time for us, it's way past time for us to be the understood, that accepted, that acknowledged it, and now we're moving on to doing something about it. That in 2020, that it'd be decisive that when we say move, we move. And it's time that, hey, brothers on the inside, I'm talking about man to man, mind to mind, brother to brother. I say, man, we can't continue to say that this slavery, to say that this inhumane, to say that the DOJ verified and validated everything we said. We can't say that they jumping on us and spraying us for no reason. We can't continue to say all that if we ain't going to do nothing about it. So we starting to sound like little children. Then, that ain't what we about. As they say in the street, this is the dirty stuff. You know we get down dirty for hours. If somebody slapped me, we slapping back. If somebody handling me wrong, we standing up for ourselves. And it's time that, you know, we do the math. We start adding it up. We strike a balance, man, and see how it way up. It's time for the Bantu tribe to stand and be accountable. And free Alabama movement, the next generation, there's something new going on, man, but you got to get with it. Ain't but one way to stop this, man. Ain't no way. I'm talking about slavery would not have continued as long as it had if the slave would let it go. You know, the slave mouth and all them, they can set up a system and do this and do that. But the slave play a part in that, too. 
got to let it go, man. Got to let it go. Whatever little trinkets you getting out of the institution or the game, you got to let it go, man. Your personal pleasure, man, is not worth sacrificing the freedom of the masses, man. Put your own personal self-interest to the side. Put your own little petty differences to the side, man. Link up, man. What we waiting on, man? How long are we going to keep going through this? Come on, day in and day out, month after month. We still talking about the same thing, man. It ain't changed. It's the same thing. The only thing that needs to change is our response to it. Got to come together, man, and do something about this, man. Ain't nobody coming to save us, man. That's what I love about the nation of God's and earth. It instilled in me that you got to make 19. You got to make the knowledge born to yourself. Self-save. Ain't nobody coming to save you, man. You got to save yourself. You got to educate yourself. You got to uplift yourself, man. You got to strengthen yourself, man. Can't be betting on nobody else. Can't be counting on somebody else. Got to do for self, man, if you want somebody else to help. And all these people in the street, man, I'm talking to people every day. People who want to aid and assist all across the country. They want to support this, support that. But we ain't doing nothing collective for them to support, man. We got to do our part, man. We got to make these slave plantations uninhabitable. The only way the system is going to fall, man, if the slaves end it. Can't nobody else end it. No matter how smart they are, no matter how many books they read, no matter how much they go and putting stuff on books and writing laws or whatever. Because we done seen laws be wrote and they be some de facto laws where things still go on. We know how it works in Alabama. We got customary laws and you got laws on the book. Man, ain't no time to play, man. Time to get it together. It's time to do something about this. We didn't file lawsuits. We didn't file Rule 32 petitions. We didn't file Habeas Corpus. We didn't did Ritter Mandamus. We didn't did Nuncrow. We didn't did everything that the law book got. And I promise you, I done seen more people than I can count that were dead right. They didn't have no business in prison. But yet and still, they here. You hear what I said? Ain't got no reason to be in prison legally by law other than the, the prejudices and the opinions of some jurors because there was no facts and evidence that should have been able to convict them. Yet and still they here and they here in droves. And we all know this. So, you know, betting on the court to, to wake up and have a conscience and be fair, waiting on the police to, you know, develop a conscience and deal with you uh, on equal terms, you know, or waiting on the people in prison to, to get a conscience and say, man, this ain't right. Keep waiting, man. Keep waiting. And tell me how that work out for you. I'm looking for some brother, man, who's sick and tired of being sick and tired and refuse to continue to be sick and tired about the same thing. Because if you don't do nothing about it, then you must like it, man. You must like it. You like being a slave. Like being able to have a time frame where you got to get in the shower. You like the fact that the water might be hot, might be cold, depending on what time you get there. 
like the fact that you got to walk a mile to go to a town hall to eat some food that ain't even, you know, edible for real. You like this, man, because you ain't standing up. You got to like it. Because if somebody do something to me I don't like, then I'm going to stop it. I'm going to stop. I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to kick, scream, bite. I'm doing something, man. I am not laying down for nothing in no arena. My mama ain't raised no quills. And I ain't accepting this death sentence that these people gave me. I ain't accepting this system that they forcing me to have to endure. I'm not accepting anything except what I know my God-given right is, liberation. Not emancipation, but liberation. Something that you fight for, not something that somebody gives you, man. Time that we get liberated spiritually, mentally, and physically. Stop trying to be emancipated. Stop trying to give somebody else the power over you. The power to make decisions for you, man. Y'all, come on, man. Quit playing, man. I promise you, man, I'm too old for this. I did it too long. And got in the trenches and got down dirty for too long to sit back and let these people just laugh and smile and get rich off our suffering, off the suffering of our family members, off the suffering of our children. Man, these folks destroying our whole family, our community, and they're getting rich off of it. And we sitting back, you know, you know, we mad, we mumbling and grumbling. Man, but we ain't acting like we care. Like we done been rocked to sleep or not. They done knocked the fight out of you. Because now I know that can happen. I done seen some dude get hit and turn up, and I done seen some dude get hit and knock all the fight out of them. You know, this is a rough situation we in. You know what I'm saying? This ain't, this ain't no situation for the, for the weak at heart or the weak at mind. Or the weak, this, ain't, this ain't that situation. Man. There's some strong brothers up in here. But then I also seen some brothers get hit and take the fight right up out of them. And you get off into a life of a fantasy, fears of illusion, because you don't want to deal with the reality of your situation. You're scared. You don't want to confront the reality of the things that scare you. That's one of the two, man. You're either going to fight or you're going to lay down, man. I'm saying right now, those who talking about fighting, man, those who talking about doing whatever you're talking about doing, I ain't trying to tell you not to do it. You're going to do it. You don't need me to do it. If that's what your heart leads you to do, let's do it, man. But we got to do something, man. And we got to do something big. And we got to do it now. I'm telling you, Ice Cube, I, I stole this. I stole this content. I stole it. But it's, it is what it is. We got to do something. And we got to do something big, man. We got to do it now. Alabama, stand up. And I'm going to yield with that. Brother Max, uh, do we have any callers trying to join right now? Are you listening to Live from the Plantation every Thursday night, 7 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time? Uh, the voices that you're hearing are people who are actually uh, enslaved um, in the various states throughout the United States. And we use this platform courtesy of Abolition Today and their great sponsors, team of sponsors, JLS, uh, I Am We Network. Um, I think there's one other one I can't remember the name of, but these people are they created a platform that they've extended to us and allow us to communicate directly to the people. So there is no distortion of the message. There's no watering down of the message. There's no, um, well, you said,
said this, but it would be more better to say it this way or this, that. No, there's none of that right here. Uh, these people are allowing us to speak from our own experiences, from our own uh, emotions, from our own just reality. And so that's, uh, you know, that's, that, that's very important that the people, that there are so many people out there claiming to be fighting for us but have no relationship with us, uh, have no communication with us, or desire to even communicate with us. But there are a lot of people out there who are part of this work uh, that didn't know that it was possible, that, you know what I'm saying, that we would go thinking outside of the box and figure out a way to do it anyway. And so that's what Abolition Today and these other networks, and we have other networks. We're on, we're on social media. We're on Twitter. We're on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're everywhere that that we're everywhere. We're everywhere, you know what I'm saying? And we're always looking for other places to go. Because this message has to get out. We're not satisfied with a lot of things that people are doing out there that are exploiting this movement. And also, we want to reach others, you know what I'm saying, in other states and other prisons. And so if you know someone who is incarcerated, then we need for you to help us to get linked up with them so that we can start sharing our ideology, sharing our plan, sharing our agenda, so that we can build this movement because, you know, we take action, too. There are things that we do. We go on uh, work strikes that we call shutdowns. Uh, we boycott. Uh, we boycott the industries. We boycott the contractors. We boycott the canteens, the stores, the collect phone calls. Uh, we become disruptive to the economics of this system uh, by any means, you know. And so if there are other people who are willing to join us and, and do these things, that but they're not active because they don't know what to do, then uh, bring us together. You know, um, I know you've been doing a great job. If, if this applies to you, I know you've been doing a great job, but we, we can do some things too. You know, yield the floor to us for a minute and let us get inside and talk to some of these people. Let us mm-hmm. see what we can do together. Uh, Amen. Max, do we have any callers? We have got uh, about a dozen callers on the line, but none of them have their hands up. And I do recognize some of the numbers, so just press 1 on your keypad so that we know you have something to say. And if you're a regular, you know, just chime in anyway. You know, give the brothers some ups and some love. Let them know that you're listening, all right? All right, well, we got one caller here right now. We got 4724. You are live on the plantation. Hi, this is Amira. I was just wondering, have you guys seen seen any of the effects of going on the strike that you just discussed? Like, has anything come to to the top because of that? Yes, um, it's, it's a number of things. Uh, I could start. We started our first work strike in 2014, um, and at the time, you know, the Alabama prison system was the most overfunded, was the most under, under, overfunded, uh, understaffed uh, one in prison system. We need someone to please mute your phone. Not who's sure who that is. Overfunded, understaffed, overcrowded prison system in the nation. Since 2014, when we went on our first round of strikes, the Alabama prison system has been the most talked about, most examined, scrutinized prison system in the country. Uh, Since that time, the Department of Justice has been in on two different occasions uh, conducting statewide audits and examinations of uh, the violence levels, uh, the the sanitary uh, levels, and the officers violence against the people who are incarcerated under their control. Uh, we've had two reports come out from the DOJ basically confirming everything that we said, uh, finding that the DOC is violating our constitutional rights with respect to officer violence, 
uh, mental health care. And there was also a report that was being released by Tuckwiler Women's Prison, and that report has also shown uh, the conditions inside the prison system. Uh, there have been two commissioners that have resigned. One was forced to resign. We've had two associate commissioners that was forced to resign because of the spotlight that was placed on the prison, exposing the corruption. We've had about eight, seven or eight wardens who have been forced to resign or refire because of the, the spotlight. Um, we also had two different types of legislation that was passed. In 2015, they passed some legislation um, reducing a lot of crimes down to Class D uh, crimes. So we had some what you call reform. Uh, also, our parole board was forced to create a second emergency parole board where probably over two or 3,000 people were released over a period of a couple of years um, that were not you know, that, that parole board would not have been in existence. Uh, we've also had two different prisons that were forced to close down because of conditions, Holman Prison and Draper Prison because of, of the advocacy of Free Alabama Movement. So those are just some of the things. You know, there are a lot of things that occur that don't, you know, don't immediately show up in the fine print. Uh, but um, the, the overall exposure, uh, the accountability, um, and the political consciousness, this was a prison system that, you know, this is Alabama. This It is what it is. It's the heart of Dixie. And we were able to educate so many people, so many families, uh, to the point that our platform was able to then organize the first nationwide work strikes in U.S. history, which were the largest work strikes in U.S. history. And so there was an impact beyond Alabama to other states being able to organize and organize work strikes. And there's no telling. We can't answer what all um, they were able to accomplish because of it. But we know that we were able to do that. And then we had another organization come behind us in 2018, organized another nationwide work strike. And so just so many different things that, 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 that came from that. Um, and those are just some of the things in our mind. I probably missed some stuff. We got a list somewhere. We've been kind of like trying to keep track. Hotel. Go ahead. Go ahead. Brother. Hotel. Uh, uh, in addition to, to answer the question, because, you know, there's a lot of tangible, physical things that, yes, we have accomplished uh, due to work strikes and uh, our advocacy. But the most important thing that can be gained uh, from this type of collective action uh, in any state is that brothers on the inside get an opportunity to realize their power. I can't even begin to express to you uh, the transformation uh, of the mentality of people on a slave plantation, when you realize that you really do have power, that you really do control the plantation, that these people really do have to yield to your demands. These people really do have to get in pocket when you come together collectively and you're standing on something that's righteous and you got outside support and you push. It gives brothers... Uh, a boost in morale that they've never had because most brothers on the inside feel powerless. Uh, they feel like they ain't nothing they can do. Ain't nothing their family can do. Ain't nothing. They just at the mercy of the state. But on these instances, when we come together collectively and we speak in one voice, we realize our power. And the more that we realize our power, we become more confident in asserting our right and continuing to, to, to fight against this system because we know what power can do and coming together collectively on work strikes, hunger strikes, boycotts, etc. 
it instills a sense of power in the brothers. And it's a few that give brother the energy and the momentum to keep pushing to believe that it's possible. Because when we come together, anything is possible. So, you know, my takeaway from, from the work strikes and the boycotts is something that ain't really just tangible. It was a complete transformation in the mentality and the lives of a lot of people who for the first time realized that they really did have power. So that, you know, that's my take of what, what the, the work strikes and boycotts have, you know, produced. And we appreciate you for um, calling in. Uh, thank you for pressing one. Um, do you have anything you want to add or follow up? I understand we have another caller, so if you want to follow up or you have additional questions or something, we'd be happy to entertain. If not, uh, we're going to go to the next caller. Yeah, I'll ask one more. Okay, so off of what was just said for the inmates, that I can definitely understand where they were probably so powerless in the situation. So how did you go about um, influencing them to participate or uh want to even try to help or go on the strike with you guys? Um, I think um, th- there were several different organizers, several different prisons that use, I don't know if we use so much of different methods, um, but I can speak to the sp- particular things that I did and the other organizers, they can sp- speak to the things that they did at their, at their uh, institutions. But the, the, the most important thing that I did was to, one, create a plan to show the specific actions that we were going to take and then educate people about the the, the reason why this was the most effective way. Um, when we, when we, when I'll just give you an example. When we talked about the jobs, uh, we were able to go in and get paperwork from a few of these different industries, and guys didn't realize it, but there was a chemical plant in the state of Alabama that produced $25 million worth of chemicals a year. And so when we were able to show them that, and we were like, you making eight, ten, fifteen cents an hour, or whatever you're making, and you two are making $25 million worth of products a year. And so then you can get a person to understand what their relationship is to the system. Uh, we used Michelle Alexander's book, The New Jim Crow, and we went back and showed them particular laws that were passed, how these particular laws were used to target particular people. Uh, because a lot of people were functioning in front of my and man, I did my crime, that's why I'm here. And so we had to go back and, and, and re-educate on that aspect because there's, you know, maybe you're culpable of guilty or something, but did you know that it was made a crime and then that you were targeted for that and then you were given an extended sentence that 10, 15, 20 years ago, it may have not carried, you know what I'm saying, as much time. So it was just an overall education process. Uh, another thing that we did that was very important was that we had guys on the inside to start giving their testimonies. You heard us talk about that earlier tonight. Everybody has some kind of of, of, of story of injustice, you know. Um, even for, for people who are guilty of crimes, they're like, hey, I did this, but this is how they went about doing it. The prosecutor lied. The police withheld something. And so we sat down and we took the, the, the uh, cell phones that we had and we turned them on and we did interviews. And for a lot of guys, this was the first time that they were able to actually tell their story. And so after they told their story, it was like the only way we're going to be able to get this story out there is we got to do something big, you know what I'm saying, and this is what we're planning, and this is how it's going to work, and this is how it's going to help you. And so then we went around and we, like, did a tap. We was like, this is how many jobs are done by us in prison. 
If we were paid a minimum wage, this is how much money we would actually be making. But because we're not paid anything, then this is how the state is benefiting off of it, and this is what they're depriving us. And so then we start bringing the mothers and the family members and the children and wives and the girlfriends. We're like, hey, man, our families need contributions from us. Our people need help. You know, our children, they need that daycare money. They need that diaper money. They need the, the, the extra meals on the table. Our parents are getting old while we're in here. They need them cut with extra dollars because a lot of times our families be going through stuff that they don't share with us. But we made those conversations. Those, these conversations had to be held so everyone could understand what was going on. And when people understood that and they became invested in these truths and these realities, and, you know, we was like, we're going to create this social media platform and we're going to put this shit out there like no one has ever did it before because, you know, literally no one had did it before. So we, we compiled all that stuff and we went around it. We went from cell to cell, film in the living condition. Anything, broken pipes, uh, rust, mold, mildew. We went into the kitchen. You heard Kinetta Justice talking about the food. We went in there and filmed the food and made them change the menus and made them take food out of the kitchen and made them take stuff out of these warehouses, you know what I'm saying, because of these videos. And we told them that this is what was going to happen. And we told them, hey, what is it that will free you? Tell us. And so when they told us, we drafted what we call a freedom bill. And the freedom bill went through this line item, and we encouraged every other state to do do one as well. But in Alabama, we went through and broke down a visual offender law. We talked about phone calls. We talked about uh, conjugal visits. And we saying this is what we're fighting for. You know what I'm saying? For those who don't immediately go home, this is what we're fighting for. For those who short-term, they're going to be left behind. But we all going to, you know, we in this fight together. And so it was just all of those things um all of those things combined um, and probably other things that other people had to go through to get people. But those are just the, the, that's the floor. That's the one. Those are things that we all did collectively. You know what I'm saying? And so that that's how we went about getting it. And so it's a very intensive education campaign. And when we will be denied classroom time for the family members, people like yourself who were bought in, we would call y'all. Hey, we need y'all to call up here to the prison. Tell these folks they're denying us this. They're denying us this. Denying us. We made everything an issue. See, right now, guys are not making things an issue unless it personally involves them. We're like, no, nah, we're going to put the personal stuff aside. Everything is an issue. Anything we're being denied, anything we're being we're legally entitled to that we're not, make everything an issue. Don't allow anyone to shortcome you in this situation. And that allowed more people opportunity to get involved for a common cause because you've got to have people involved. And so when all those things came together, when we went on that strike, um, January 1st, 2014, everything came together even more better than we ever even imagined. The only thing is we didn't go long enough. And so we've got to get guys to understand that, you know, you've got to go until you get the result that you want. You can't just set no arbitrary deadline. Oh, we're going to strike for a week or it's going to be two weeks. People have got to understand that you've got to go until you get what you want and everyone's going to have to sacrifice something. One of the most uh, difficult Groups that, well, we ain't going to get into that right now. We can talk about that later. But there are going to be groups that, you know, you're going to have problems with. And so you've got to figure out a way to get people to understand that this is bigger than whatever that little small thing that you got going on in prison that ain't going to free you, uh, that's only harming you and harming the people that you are influencing by that. You know what I'm saying? We had to get them to buy in. And when we got those guys to give up on some of that stuff, 
uh, we were able to have success, but it was the first time people hadn't done anything like this before. Our people didn't really know how to act with that much power because it showed these guys that when we go on strike, you don't have to call nobody. You don't have to call the media. They call it. You don't have to call no politician because we found out that a lot of these people's retirement plans, a lot of the money funding and stuff that in, in Alabama, we learned that the damn capital, a lot of the, the, uh, the, the chairs and shit that they sit on in the state capital was built by people incarcerated. So it just exposed the totality of everything that was going on. But that's how we were able to get guys to continue to buy in because they saw the response that, that we were receiving from our work. Thank you for the answer. You're welcome. Thank you. Appreciate your call. Okay, Brother Max, you said we have another caller. Please press one, join live from the plantation. We want to hear from you. We got to hear from you. Um, yeah, we got to know All right, let's start with 7658. You are live from the plantation. Uh, this is Nikki. I was just stopping in to show some love with the Sam Queen team. It's a thing. <laughs> I didn't want anything. I was just stopping in to show some love. Well, you can you can tell us uh, what the Queen team got going on. So we have the Chut Tutwaller Down group um, going on, where we're working with the women inside. Um, they've came up with a list of specific demands, so we're working on that. Um, then tomorrow we have a protest um, at the Walmart in Huntsville for prison labor, um, and that's about it right now. Well, on behalf of the brothers on the inside, I just want to take my hat off and salute. We appreciate everything that you have done for years and you continue to do uh, for the brothers on the inside and supporting the struggle. We salute you. No doubt. Straight up, you was all right through my neck of the woods, through Huntsville the other week. Since you lied, brought your whole crew with you. Represented very well and brought awareness to the city. Oh, what's up? Mm-hmm. All right, we got one more caller on the line. Uh, if you want me to bring him in. Yeah, go ahead. All right, 9856, you are live on the plantation. Live from the plantation. 9856. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. The All right, nine eight five six. Your phone be... number. Last four digits of your phone number nine eight five six. Um, and you have pressed one to join in the host queue. Uh, you're, you're live. Mm-hmm. Live from the Peace God. Power. Peace God. Go vote. Go ahead. Go ahead. Hey man, how y'all brother doing tonight, man? I just want to call in some love too, man. Hey nigga D, how you doing? It's wise, man. Hey, man, I'm loving the country, man. And yeah, man, we got to keep on building, man, because these people ain't sleeping on. They working 24 hours a day around the clock, man. But I'm loving the build, though, and I'll I peace with that. All right. Thanks a lot. We appreciate you calling in. Um, if you're listening on the show, you know, we, we, we'd like to hear from you. Let brothers on the inside who are listening know that, you know, there's some people out there that are supporting this movement, uh, supporting these calls that we're making. And uh, are on standby, you know. Um, it's very important for people on the inside to know that somebody's going to have their back when we go in, you know, for those people who are not for everyone, 
but there are some who kind of afraid. They're like, you know, if we do this, the state going to do this and that. And so they be needing to know and have assurances that we're going to have the support that we be claiming that we're going to have when we be telling them that we have people on the outside who are ready to aid and assist. So it's, it's a lot of reasons why. And also just to share ideas, to let us know that, you know, if you're thinking about joining uh, these operations, and because it, it's more effective the more people that we get to get, go at the same time. You know, if we can get the most people in the more states prisons that we can get to go on strike at one time is more effective because the people that we're attacking, the GO group, uh, core civic, uh, these state prisons, they're all interconnected. They're one entity. So when you strike one, you're striking all of them. And so when we strike them, we like to hit them with as many weapons that we can hit them with at one time. You know, we want to go on work strike at one time. We want to go on a boycott at one time. We want to have our protesters mobilizing at one time. We want to do all this stuff simultaneously to increase the impact of what it is that we're trying to do. And so we are always um, extending out an invitation to other people from other states to get involved because it's necessary. This is not a, a one-man band. Uh, you know what I'm saying? We want everybody standing up there on the front line, side by side, uh, so we can work to do all of this. So what we're going to do right. at this time, go ahead, Brother Mexico. What you, were you, still, saying? you still got one more caller on the queue? Okay, bring the caller on. All right, no doubt. 1882, you are live from the plantation. Hey, um, this is Daniel uh, Tehan. Uh, calling hey, what's up, Daniel? Hey, how's it going? Um, just so on just the ground. What's that? Go ahead. Yeah, well, it's great to hear you, your voice, and, and also you can edit. Um, I was just going to say to the last point that you were making um, about getting support from the outside, I wonder, um, a couple calls back, you mentioned doing uh, an event at a college related to a divestment campaign, um, and I'm somebody who came out of, like, college organizing, and uh, there was a divestment campaign at my school as well, and I think one of the dynamics that often happens is, is administrators or local officials will dismiss sort of student activism as just being, you know, sort of targeted inward and not really connected to larger movements. And so I guess I wonder if you see a place for student activism and specifically students who are trying to get their schools endowments divested from private prison industries, um, sort of connecting that with some of the actions that you're talking about on the inside. Oh, definitely. I mean, like, we've, uh, we've, we're losing you, brother. I'm sorry. Oh, there you go. That's one of the things that we have been working on. Um, we, we haven't had the success that we wanted. Uh, here in the state of Alabama, I think they have the most HBCUs in the nation. It's either the most, I know they've lost a few, I don't know if they're still the case, but, you know, We've reached out, and that's uh, that. That would be a great boost to what we're trying to do um, to get students involved. So yeah, that would be um, that would be phenomenal because, like, one of the things that we we emphasize, like these uh, like like uh, Nika D said, they're going to protest at a Walmart tomorrow. Okay, these are areas where students easily can be mobilized. We can mobilize these students. We can get education material. We can get passed out material. You know, it's not just about Zoom calls. We love these Zoom calls. But also, um, with the Amendment 4 going on, like, we're trying to put a campaign together. 
Uh, we have uh, we're trying to get in contact with the, the, the legislators who drafted the bills um, to get them on. So we just want to try to get that that element engaged, not only because they can mobilize, because these are our future leaders. You know what I'm saying? These are people that that can be placed in positions to challenge. Uh, you know, if we're going to get involved in politics, then there are student leaders and activists that can get involved in these campaigns and organize when we find candidates, or there may even be some students that, that want to be candidates. So it's just so many different things that they can do that make them important and valuable to what it is that we're trying to do, uh, coming to the prisons, uh, leading divestment campaigns. Uh, they have so many skills with social media and technology that they can aid us in putting, uh, you know, uh, content and stuff out. Uh, drafting and editing documents, running blogs, uh, it's, it, you know, it's, it's, it's endless to what they can do. So, yeah, it's very important that they get involved, but the thing that we don't want to have, the, 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 one of the issues that we've had in the past is like with the nonprofit industrialized complex. You know, a lot of them, they, they come with ideas from these organizations that are establishment ideas and stuff like that. And so that's a part of it that we're trying to to navigate around when we deal with these with these bodies and stuff. But you know, yeah, we definitely uh, would like to get involved, and it doesn't have to be just in Alabama. It can be wherever there is the desire to get involved, to aid and assist, and then they can also assist us in getting contacts and connected in our state or with other organizers in other states. But you know, every major movement that has went on in this country over the last 60 or so years, the students have been involved. And so there's nothing unique or special about what we're doing that they are not going to be able to be involved in what we're doing. So we definitely all welcome them with open arms uh, in any way that they want to be involved as long as it lines up with, with what it is that we're trying to do. Well, and yeah, I want to add something in addition to uh, what Brother Bendu said, uh, Daniel. Um, <clears throat> that That is a uh, it is something that we need to target, uh, school campuses. Uh, a couple of years back, uh, we had a 10-point plan uh, that we were going to move off into, but one of the points was creating a speaking tour uh, throughout the state of Alabama, uh, you know, pinpointing these uh, colleges and so forth, uh, you know, on an educational so forth tour. So I went, while y'all were talking, I was thinking about, you know, we did the Harvard divestment thing. That's one opportunity that that gives us the exposure to to try to bring more people in from uh college campuses uh the uh, uh you know the proposal that you gave us about speaking at princeton at these type of events we can have uh some type of influence to bring people in to get them involved uh but we need to create some type of uh apparatus some type of structure that uh we can take it back to the 60s uh you know with places like you had stokely carmichael and brothers like that that went from campus to campus, you know, with the message. You know, if we could create an apparatus that we could afford to send uh, Brother Max, somebody that we know, trust, as knowledgeable peer, to go on a speaking tour uh, throughout the state of Alabama or throughout the state of South Carolina or whatever state, but to create speaking tours on these college campuses of educating them about the realities of the situation and, you know, extending the invitation for them to be a part of the movement because uh, they are definitely uh, a valuable uh, part of this movement, you know what I'm saying? It always has. It always has been on college campuses where uh, a lot of the traction was gained. So, you know, whatever ideas that we can come up with together uh, to try to get 
uh, those young activists involved and uh, connected to the larger struggle, then, you know, I'm all open for it. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you both for for those thoughts. And I, I would certainly love to keep thinking through that and uh, while keeping in mind what, what Benu was saying about, you know, the importance of not letting um, outside folks with their own agendas and sort of modes of thinking about this work uh, impose those on, on the movement. So I really appreciate that. Thanks. We yeah, appreciate you, Daniel. Yeah, we appreciate you. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, Daniel had also sent me a message talking about the, uh, the Article 1, Section 32, uh, dealing with this amendment because, you know, not long ago we had a reporter um, put out a uh, story about the reparations uh, so that's someone we could reach out to. We also saw another report that was put out, and it was dealing with, um, I think it was dealing with something with the Constitution, but there, there's already a few organizations on the ground. Uh, these conversations are already kind of like out there. We've got to make sure that we enter into this space um, in this movement because that's a worthy space for us to get involved in. So uh, in addition to what we're doing on the inside, um, like he said, with these uh, students and whatnot, this will be something also that will be great, almost ideal for them to assist us in. So um, let's just uh, let's stay on point with this uh, with this this movement and and get these people who want to be involved, who need to be involved. Let's make these contacts and connections to bring them in. Uh, we're gonna go on break. We're gonna take a few minutes break. Give everyone a chance to catch a breath, breathe. Come back. We're gonna come back on the other side. We're gonna turn the second half of the show over to Brother Mikael, Brother Wise. Uh, Brother Mikael wants to talk a little bit about how we can start putting our personal stories out there. Because remember, when we're reaching out to advocates, the public, the media, and stuff, we've got to have proof of what it is that we're going through. These stories are, you know, these stories are never told. A lot of our the decisions in the court, there's no opinions, we're denied, we play against whatever it is, these stories never leave beyond those little confines. And so I'm thinking that maybe we're going to start allowing everyone an opportunity to put a little five to seven minute clip together to tell about your personal story. If you got something in documentations in the transcript or something like that, add that to the presentation or send it to us in the email with your story. We'll find people to help us put it in and plug it in as you're talking about it. But we want to expose the injustice of this system to the broader society. And the only way we're going to do that is if we do it ourselves. We're going to have to lift our own voices up. These organizations and nonprofits are not coming in here to take our stories and build these databases. But we don't need them to. The same way that Brother Mikhail on the other side of the break is going to start putting a story out there, everyone has the ability to put our stories out there. We want as many of them as possible to continue to add to our indictment against this system. This is our indictment against the system. When we take actions, this is the reason why. These stories, these injustices, this is the reason why we're doing what we're doing. We'll see you on the other side of break live from the plantation. That are built to defend and protect this road heart. This road heart. The way you marched into my home, not few big army with a weapon on your arm. Yes, you struck straight with your cold heart. 
I'm like Nat, I'm like Nat I'm a man of God but where is Christ at? And even though my name is Nas, I am like Nat Is this me declaring war white flags? I now know why I was even born To strike back a full moon up in the sky, that's a sign that It's time to get my liberation, a perfect configuration It's the birth of a nation, men, white, black Mother, father, Caucasian, my blood, Indian, native So now I'm contemplating being like Nat About to show you what I'm made of, I'm what race is all afraid of No mule in the 40 acres, and despite that Watch out for the traitors, and when they say make America great again Do they may make us all slaves again, don't sidetrack Be a victim no more Depicted as a criminal Especially when you're poor Why doesn't the government Order capital punishment To officers Who racial profile And put slugs in us Makes me think They want us to stink On the brink of insanity We screaming for justice They send tanks Demanding me Demanding we protect The family anarchy Who cuts planning him Demanding he damaged me So my fantasy Is every single one of us Come against the evil Divided people It's common sense the theory, I hope the whole world hearing no justice So I became a revolutionary No matter if you're red, white, black If you want freedom, then we're all like men Turner and every one of us. No matter if you're red, white, black, if you want freedom, then we're all like next. Yeah, I'm here. You can't hear me. Yeah, all right. Y'all go ahead. 
All right, this is Brother Mikael, man, uh, Reverend, uh, Freedom Fighter, backseat shotgun rider, the pre-Alabama movement, man. Listen, I want to touch on two things real quick. I'm going to take my time to do it. Uh, last week, we did a message to the hood, and I spoke on the fact that I was kicked out of school, but I neglected to tell everybody what for. And secondly, Brother Binu just spoke on the fact that brothers incarcerated who have the idea in their head that they're a bad person or that they did something to deserve all of this time, not really understanding the funnel that was used to guide them here in the first place. So that's what I want to speak on tonight. Uh, My first run-in with these people's system, I was 14 years old. And I was, well, first and foremost, my father started smoking crack, was put on to the drug by his brother. So the crack epidemic affected me. That was one angle that affected me. When we got broke down from the middle class uh, that we was in to the lower class from his drug abuse problem, we then had to move to Alabama from Georgia. When we moved here, I had to go to a school called Colbert County in Leeson, Alabama, which draws me to the point of my first run-in with these people. I was one of three black kids in that, in that school, in that homeroom classroom that I was in. And I was turning my homework in, and a young man by the name of Willie Dickerson tripped me up while I was turning my homework in and called me a nigga. And when I defended myself against him, these folks went crazy. They took me to court for defending myself. But this man calling me the N-word and tripping me up. And when they took me to court, they charged me with truancy, which I always thought was uh, skipping school, missing too much school. You know what I'm saying? They said that they had a charge in Alabama called truancy that was getting in too much trouble or having a major incident of trouble, violence in the school. So I come to find out that the dude, Willie Dickerson, his father was a Klansman, and the vice principal who put the charges on me, her husband was involved in the Klan with this man's father. These people charged me at 14 years old for defending myself against a white supremacist who assaulted me and called me a nigger, and they sent me to Jasper, Alabama, to camp uh, Nicknick, uh boot camp. That was my introduction to the system. That's how I was introduced to the system, not because I was a bad kid, not because I was out doing things I had no business doing. First and foremost, I wouldn't have even been in these people's vicinity had not my daddy been hit with the crack epidemic. That's a whole other can of worms. not going to split atoms. I'm just giving you a broad overview of the funnel that was used to bring me to my situation. So when I come home, from the boot camp, I tried to get back in this school. When I tried to get back in this school, the guidance counselor told me and my mother that I couldn't get in, said that the best thing I could do was to get my GED. But I was 15 years old. I couldn't even legally take the GED test. So these people just had me sitting at home with no getting, getting no education for two years. I had to wait until I turned 17 to take my GED. I was a whiz kid. I scored off the charts on all my tests. When they finally 
allowed me to take the GED when I turned 17. They had just changed the test that year, 2003, and made it harder than the high school exit exam. I took my test at Alabama A&M in Huntsville, and I'm in the newspaper. You can Google it. I scored in the top 10 highest scores in the state of Alabama that year after the test was made harder than the high school exit exam. But these people barred me from public school, barred me from the opportunity of having a prom, barred me from the opportunity of walking across the stage with a cap and a gown, dehumanizing, demoralizing. You hear what I'm saying? So now, turn around, you have multiple aspects of this system that they put down on us with to guide us to these folks' penitentiaries or to the grave. And in some cases, we end up thinking that something is wrong with us. We end up thinking that we, we, we the bad guy. And then, in some cases, you're so ashamed of the truth about your story that you was trying to fit in, that you was trying to be cool and a follower, or you didn't have no idea what you was doing at all. You see what I'm saying? You was just in the wrong place at the wrong time that you won't even tell nobody. You'll walk around still claiming that persona because that's what everybody thinks is cool. But that's not what's cool. That's not what's up. So don't be afraid to tell your story. Don't be afraid to tell the truth that you were bamboozled, that you was hoodwinked, that you didn't have a clue. You feel what I'm saying? That you didn't really know what was going on. These people play a mean game, man, and, and, and the reason why I wanted to point that out was because drugs and alcohol played the most vital role in my entire demise. Throughout my whole life, the night I caught my case, I was so intoxicated and so out of it that when I was actually arrested, I wasn't even conscious. They couldn't even interrogate me. No one knows what the hell went on. You feel what I'm saying? Nobody knows. You feel me? Because everybody was in a drug-induced coma. But they didn't even do a blood test because they don't care because we're not our problems and what the root cause of our issues are are insignificant to them. We're a cash cow. The system is working exactly how they designed it to work, to funnel us straight to the prison, no matter how they get us there. So our issues and the root causes of our issues are never going to be addressed until we bring them to the light, until we bring them to the forefront and get somebody to address them. I talk about being recognized for rehabilitation and your efforts in rehabilitation. Since I've been in prison 14 going on 15 years, I have almost 40 program completions. Anybody that knows me will tell you that anytime you see me and I'm not in lockup but standing up for our rights, I'm either teaching the SAP program, service abuse program, because that's my passion, being that it was the main thing that, that caused my personal demise, uh, or I'm teaching anger management, stress management, or I'm organizing the Christians and the Muslims, and I'm teaching some type of beneficial program that'll benefit myself and the people around me to unindoctrinate us and to educate us, rehabilitate us, and get us up off these folks' plantations. But anybody that knows that will also tell you in the same stroke that when we do these things, they start shutting down classrooms. We had the classrooms so packed where I'm at now with this move that the man who was a guidance counselor who allowed us the platform to do it 
was moved to another part of the building and eventually fired from his job, and they took the chairs out of that classroom and said no one could get those chairs for a class but a DOC worker because every time they passed by that classroom, it was full. All the chairs was full and wall-to-wall people standing around the classroom to hear things that would wake them up, that would empower them, that would educate them, and would allow them to get up off these folks' plantations. So that lets you know right there that nothing they got going on is geared toward rehabilitation. Nothing they got going on is has anything to do with right and wrong. You see what I'm saying? It's straight economics. It's all about money. But I need everybody like me and everybody involved in these situations that caught me up in these pitfalls to tell their story. Don't be ashamed of your story. Don't be ashamed of who you are. You are who you are, bro. We not killers like they be saying we is, man. You know what I'm saying? Go and get that title up off of you. You don't want that title. That's not a title to have, bro. That's not something to be proud of. Come on and tell these folks the truth, man. The truth. We were hoods and we were bamboozled. We were sauced up. With that, man, I'm not going to keep y'all. just wanted to inspire some other brothers, man to tell their truth and to bring it out, man, because it's the only way that we're going to get these people to truly understand the value and the character of the men that they got trapped behind the fence. So right now, they think a lot of them folks out there have been programmed and taught to think that we're not worth it, that we're not worth loving, that we're not worth fighting for, that we're not worth reintegrating into society. But a lot of us would be civil giants. We would be authorities in the community, assets to the community, educate the community, do great things in the community. But we are being hindered from being allowed to do that because it's not in these people's economical best interest. Thank you all for letting me share. With that, I'll turn it over to Bro For a while. Yeah, peace, peace, peace. Man, that was a powerful deal, man. Powerful message to Brother Mikael just gave. Um, yeah, man, like that's something that we have to do on the inside, and I think that that we don't do more is tell our story, cause you know we we have to show that it, it is power in our words, though. You know, it's a power in our story. It's a power in who we are. You know, and not us not knowing who we are. You know, we don't know how much power we possess. Especially, especially if I know I got power, I'm very powerful. Mikael know he powerful. Brother Kinetta know he powerful. And also the brother, you know, the brother Binu know he powerful. You know, and us collective as a whole come together with the other brothers and sisters that powerful. You know, we even make a powerful impact. But just to shine a little light that, you know, not only that, when we look at this system, on the Department of Correction, on the jurisdiction system. We got to look at also the other institutions that play part into that, you know, like the brother Mikael was sharing his story. And when I share my story, you know, I look at the, 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 the school, the prison pipeline, you know, and how and how very effective it is and, and look at how, 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 how damaged it is to the black, the black community in Alabama, you know, they got a real, they got a real bad, you know, from the school, school to create the pipeline to where that. When I was 13 years old, this was like the first time I ever got, I kicked out of school and I had to go to Turner School. And we had got a letter in the mail to where I had to go down to the courthouse. 
And I went down to the courthouse downtown, and we had to go like on the fifth floor. You know, it was me. I see two other um two other dudes in there with their mama, so they coming at. So I was the last one to go in there, and the lady said he specifically told me. She said. If you look at your behavior problem that you in school, we starting to see that you have, you have the characteristics, the patterns of going to prison. So, you know, I look at that. He said it was going to contact what they did. But I look at that on how the system themselves to understand that it's certain behavior problems that exist within children in school to where they can lead up and go to prison, but y'all still doesn't do nothing. Y'all still don't have no type of program, no type of facility, you know, when you look at the school system in the black community, you know, and you go look at those in the, the predominant white or in the better neighborhoods, and they coming out the same school system, but the funding different, you know, the resources different. So we know when you limit the funding, you limit the resources, you limit the opportunities. So it's pretty much no other choices that you're looking at when, when we're looking at these issues. So, you know, when I look at my situation, me being 15 years old, taking my charge, and coming to prison at 16, and I'm looking at myself now 27 years old. So, you know, when I'm looking at this, I just spent half my teenage, majority of my teenage years, and now I'm looking at all my 20s in here. So, you know, when I look at me and other individuals that came straight out of when I look at the same people, it's the same people I was getting kicked out of school with. It's the same people you send down in the youth detention center. It's the same individual you see going to boot camp. It's the same pre- people that you see that's in the prison system. So it's like, damn, how could y'all keep fun and keep funny in and not the same people, the same individuals, the same faces, the same voices. So, you know, when I look at the system, and like the brother Mikael would explain on how economic it is, you know, that's how we looked at it. We looked at money. We look at it as, as, as a dollar sign, and they're doing it right here in the school system. They do it not only do the school system, you got the DYS, you know, you got you got, you got got DHR. Because see some of the same, some of these same faces that they see in the DHR, you know. So we got to look at all the other institutions that also contributed, even the mental health. You know, like the brother connected with explaining that a lot of us do have mental, mental health problems that do not get, do not get no attention, do not get the help that we need, you know. And, and, and a lot of these brothers, a lot of us that need someone just to sit down and listen and talk to. You can't even do that. This is a stressful environment. A lot of us come from a stressful environment. Our home was stressful environment. We go to school, we got to deal with people picking on us, the teachers doing this and that and that. So, you know, we grow up in a stressful environment, you know, not to make no excuses, but we got to understand on how the government themselves create these situations because they understand that you create this situation right here, this going to be more majority of the people going to react this type of way. We don't want all along, we more more majority on this type of mentality. So no, so so for the brothers that's in the inside and not only those who listen who got access to the brothers in the inside and the sister too, you know, we have to tell our stories more. We gotta we gotta understand that it is power when our words power when our voices, man, and we gotta be heard, man. You know, we gotta tell our stories. And if we don't share our story to find out we the power we got no power and that we could be our own self savers, you know, we gonna continue to think that we power. We gonna continue to think that it ain't no hope, you know, because that's, that's the only thing that they selling us. They selling us hope. They selling us hope. You know, I sit here and listen to the brother around here. Oh, they got rid of Charles Braddock. Okay, boom. They just got rid of the Clifford. They just got rid of the foul guy. You know, we got to look at the court issue. Who is the people that behind it? 
who the people that put behind HBO, uh, the house bill on um, 380. You know, when you need a job, then you go get the best person that you feel is just they go do the job. You know, it's a great win to get to get Grady got the way, but the fight continue on. The fight continue on. They ain't doing no more selling those hope, man. And I'm done. You know. And we got to kill that. They selling us hope, man, because we the only one that going to supply hope for us. We the only one that, you know, we, the individual, yourself, have to get up out your ass and go fight and got to go get it. You know, we ain't no money coming out, growing on trees, and ain't no freedom go far. Go, you nothing. You can pay for freedom. You can't pay for freedom. You got to go get it. So, uh, and I yield with that, man. That way, wild. That way, man. With the brothers, we got to come together, and, uh, man. Uh, go ahead, uh, brother. Uh, just, you know, I just was uh, adding on to, you know, what I'm saying that's a powerful statement that uh, uh, you, brother Mikael, yeah, and brother uh, the guy Wise was making that. You know, there's power in our words, and there's power in our stories. Um, you know, it's something that, you know, on a several occasions that we've, uh, uh, an endeavor that we've began, you know, creating websites, uh, creating Facebook groups, um, telling brothers' stories. You know what I'm saying? For years, we helped highlight brothers' story, and there's a lot of brothers who got the attention and got the help uh, they needed, and a lot of brothers that are out of prison, off the plantation, uh, because they were bold enough to tell their story because, sadly enough, a lot of brothers on the inside uh, ashamed to tell their story, uh, scared to tell their story for one reason or another. Um, but I try to stress to brothers as much as I possibly can that, you know, there's only one side to your story that's out there, and that's the story that the system told. And the system always going to paint themselves in the light most favorable. But people never know why you in prison. People never know what happened to you. You know what I'm saying? Time passed by and people's thoughts uh, of what happened and so forth. It passed by. You know what I'm saying? The emotion that this wrong, that was wrong, they did it, it passes by. But you have to take the initiative. You have to take the narrative of your story. You have to put it out there, what actually happened from your perspective. Allow people to see what happened from your perspective. Allow people to know the truth. You know, I was fortunate uh, throughout the years to to, to learn uh, the law uh, to a certain degree. And understanding the law and understanding my situation, um, you know, it was a beautiful mix because I was able to articulate, you know, not just the opinions of they did me wrong or racism was this or that, you know, because a lot of people make accusations and, you know, to use the race car, uh, it's been used so many times that they did it because I'm black, they did it because I'm black, that it has lost value and effect. So you have to get into tune with a human uh, reality. You have to humanize yourself. You have to rehumanize yourself because people have uh, painted pictures of you, have demonized you. You know, I'm saying there's so many stories uh, on the street of why I'm in prison or why I'm still in prison, why I've been in prison this long. And, you know, these are all opinions that people have, but they don't have the facts or they wouldn't have the facts if I didn't take the initiative to break down my entire case, to tell my entire story. Uh, It was one of the beautiful things about Halifax County 
when we were being taught the law, uh, one of the things that we were uh, required to do was before the first 48 hours, you know what I'm saying, the day before you caught the case and the day you caught the case, sit down and try to recall step by step everything you did that day and continue to do this until you get all of the facts and information out on the paper and to be able to organize your story in a format that, you know, that's acceptable that people, that you know, that people's attention span ain't that long, uh, people's knowledge base ain't that wide. So you have to, you know, do a lot of the work. You know, you have to lay it down. You know, have to let people know. Um, you know what I'm saying? Because there's a lot of misconceptions about people on the plantation and how they got on the plantation and why they still on the plantation. You know, a lot of people, when they get set off for parole, um, their family members or people in society just automatically assume that, oh, he's been getting in trouble, he's been doing this, he's been doing that. Uh, so, you know, we have to highlight situations where brothers have 16-year clear records, where brothers have been 10 years and in turn running your program, with brothers with these kind of, you know, resumes, but they still being set off for, for parole. So that throws your argument that he had to be doing something to get in trouble for the reason why they set him off for parole, the reason why he's still in prison, because he won't act right, because he won't do what the folks say. And that's a fallacy. And just as well as how you got to prison, a lot of people believe fallacies, that he must have did something, he had to do something. They don't just give you life without parole for nothing. They don't do it, you know, and it's a lot of assumptions that people make. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, if you want to talk about white supremacy infecting the criminal justice system, then, you know, my situation is ideal. I'm saying I when I was... Uh, barely uh, out of my teenage, you had just turned 20. Uh, I was charged uh, in the death of a white male, a white National Guardsman, who happened to be related to the mayor of the city. In spite of the fact that, you know, Tosikaza report showed that he was high on cocaine, had been drinking, you know what I'm saying, was erratic, all these things, you know, eyewitnesses that he ran me off the road, that he attempted to do something to me, uh, that, you know, whatever happened to him inside of a crack house had nothing to do with me. You know, all of these things were known, but it was understood that we cannot let this message be sent that a black person can be justified in the death of a white person under any circumstances. It's in the wrong kind of message. And out the gate, I'm talking about out the gate, uh, they set in motion a plan to take away my life. They intentionally appointed me an attorney who was friends with the victim, had been friends with the victim for 13 years. They had just been on flood duty together two weeks before he died. Uh, that was to ensure that I had nobody to defend me. Uh, they brought in a whole bunch of nonsense witnesses to talk about things that weren't even relevant to the case, but inflamed the jury after they composed the all-white jury. And, they, you know, they set up a, a, a down-south lynching. And I'm talking about step by step through the, I was, you know, charged with doing one thing. And then when it was discovered that that didn't happen, the judge amended the indictment illegally for them to try to find me guilty of something else based on conspiracy and complicity of things I didn't even do. But the whole thing was to get it before this all white jury so they could send the message that it doesn't matter about right and wrong, about truth, about facts. We have a message to send. We have an agenda. We have a program going. 
And, you know, it doesn't stop just in our local courthouses. Because when I got to the Court of Criminal Appeals um, to challenge the sufficiency of the evidence, because the only witness had testified that I didn't rob the victim, so how was I guilty of first-degree robbery and murder if the witness said I didn't rob him? But what the Court of Criminal Appeals did was change the facts of the case to put me in the house, giving a direct order to somebody to take the gun to justify upholding this capital murder conviction and this life without parole sentence. And from the beginning, when they did this, my attorney had 14 days to object and to straighten it out. He didn't object. So that became the facts of my case, and I became stuck with it. And for over 15 years, every court in this state has told me, well, ain't nothing we can do about it. You should have objected in 14 days. But I have the, I have the records, the trial transcripts that show that none of this stuff happened that you say happened and is the reason why you upheld the conviction. But it doesn't matter. The truth doesn't matter. Perception is what matters with these systems. So it's important that we tell our stories to people in society to help change their perception of what really goes on with the police, what really goes on in the courthouse, what really goes on in the appeals court, what's going on in these prisons. We have to tell our stories. We have to get the information out there. One of the things I'm talking about, the first 13 years uh, in prison um, was without cell phones. You know, it was without no communication to the outside world, outside of, you know, whoever would accept your collect call. And, and at that time, it was nobody but my mom. So, you know, the only person I talked to in society was my mama or who was at my mama's house for almost 13 years. But I was surrounded by some brothers who were dedicated to being free. And we used to build every day, Pfeiffer, Law Library, Nation of Islam, Moore Science, Temple. we everywhere. This was our daily thing. But there was a thing that our instructor told us. He said, man, y'all got to get off into journalism and tell your story and get this information, this knowledge out there. Because if y'all don't, then it's a possibility that this knowledge could die inside these walls. But the people in your community need that information. They need that hippie. And they need to know the truth about what's going on inside, and they need to know your story. So, you know, just to add on to what the brother Mikael and the brother Wise were saying, you know, and and that's not the downplay. You know, me and brother Benu for uh, I know the last 10 years have, you know, aided and assisted brothers in trying to get their stories out there, you know, creating a social media platform, uh, the Lost Son of Collegeville that deals with, my ear like Asili Mungu and how he was wrongfully convicted. Uh, the Freedom Fight for Robert Rogers, how he was railroaded. Uh, we had the Freedom Fight for Robert Earl Phillips, a uh, little young dude who was 16, uh, that they gave 70 years for doing nothing. But we were able to tell his story and to get it out and distribute it that it brought enough attention that uh, for the last four years the brother has been free and the brother is staying free. So, you know, it's power in words. It's power in your story. You know, we got to get it out there. You never know who to run across your story. I just started a, a campaign for a little brother uh, at Donaldson, uh, the Keon Scott story. And I created a post and a flyer and told part of his story, a bite size of it, enough to give you the gist of what was happening. And in three days, it seemed 2,500 views. And in that process, 
somebody from Trader Truth, the rapper Trader Truth in Houston, Texas, seen the post and got in touch with his family and now is involved in a campaign to try to help this brother get released. So, you know, it's power in this, in, in this, in this endeavor to get your story out there, man. Whatever you shamed of, whatever you scared of, whatever it is, you better learn to understand that those things are Tell ministry about in the fight for your uh, friends. Connect. That's what I was talking about, Robert Earl Phillips. I was talking about the one that got 16 years and they gave him 70 years. And, you know, through the story, I was telling the story and getting it out there and creating a platform uh, for people to interact, that enough enough attention and enough spotlight was placed that the brother was, was able to uh, get that sentence uh, reduced off of him and get time served and to go home uh, that day. So, you know, there's success stories and there, there's a lot of, lot of narratives that, you know, that are out there that people are fighting to be free. People are telling their stories. They're creating websites. You know, that's what we have to do. You know, we created a wrongful conviction group, and then that group was for brothers to tell their stories, you know, with documentation. We have the technology where we can scan documents, where we can do all of these things and create platforms to show in depth uh, why we in prison illegally or why we've been wrongfully convicted. You know, we have a group... Uh, that we do uh, video uh, and audio recordings of telling the story to be compiled. So, you know, brothers on the inside, man, you need to link up. You know, uh, write your story. Tell your story. If you don't know how to do it, link up with some brothers who do. You know what I'm saying? Writing essays, you know, can't nobody tell your story the way you can. So, you know, you definitely need to be a part of the process of telling your story and getting it out there. And, you know, we have a distribution network. We have you know, many platforms to try to help you get this, this story out there, you know, because, you know, the tension that, you know, Free Alabama Movement, the work strikes and boycotts brought to Alabama set a platform uh, for all kind of things for brothers on the inside. Now you have an opportunity, you know, you have brothers who write books about this. You have brothers, you know, saying who help and do screenwriting. You know, uh, we even actually have a brother, you know, who's in, engaged in civil litigation now with uh, multi-millionaire corporations about, you know, making stories off of his life and not giving him, you know, the proceeds. So there's a lot of things going on in Alabama, a lot of platforms for brothers to get their stories out there, man. Do what you got to do, man, to get free, man. I'm not goddamn saying that my way is the only way, you know what I'm saying? There's several ways to fight for your freedom. And no matter which one you choose, bro, you know what I'm saying, just choose one. And, you know, in your endeavor and fight, people going to wonder why you're fighting so hard. People are going to wonder what's going on, so you need to have your story already packaged and ready to go out there so people can engage and get, you know, involved in what's going on with them, potentially get you some help. So, you know, just to add on to what the brothers are saying, man, our brothers, come on, man, got to link up, man, start getting involved in the process, man. Our freedom is at stake, you know, and our children, our grandchildren, you know, their freedom is at stake because what's going on right now could, you know, affect generations to come because as me and max uh had a conversation uh one day last week we were talking about that we here this history we being a part of history you know what i'm saying how history gonna judge is gonna be depending on what we do or what we did and you know the children the grandchildren gonna look back at you know what we did our sacrifices or our lack of sacrifices our vision or our lack of vision you know what i'm saying it's time you know for us to step up be men be held accountable or as they say in the cipher, it's time to strive to be God-like at all times. In every situation, it's all God all the time. 
and I'm a piece with that. All right, everybody. Um, did we lose you, Benu? Yes, sir. Seems like we might have lost Brother Ben New for a second there. What about now? Can you oh, hear me? Okay, okay. Yes, we got you. Okay, there he you. is right there. Okay. Yeah, um, like I said, uh, we're winding down another night uh, live from the plantation. Um, <clears throat> we want to, we want, I just want to reemphasize this one more time. Like Kennedy said, we have a particular Facebook group where we, we're trying to get these stories. We want to put all the stories in one spot and then kind of like navigate from there, get them out. And so the reason why we want to do it like that because we don't we we're trying to make sure that we get all of the stories out. And if we all have individual spots, locations where all of our different stories in individual places, then we dilute and diminish the opportunity to show just how just how big the system of corruption is. But if we got all other stories in one spot, and so people can go into this one location and see all of these different stories, then we can show the pattern. Then we can show what's actually going on. We can show that this is a systemic issue, that there's racism involved. We can show the wrongfulness of, of, of how our brothers and stuff are being treated. And so it just makes us more effective. So if you got a story, if you want to, if you got a brief little narrative you want to send to us, if you want to do it in voice, go ahead and send it. If you're down for doing the interview, get in contact with us, we'll do the interview, we'll put it up on all of these different platforms and stuff because a lot of people are consuming information like that. And so we're just trying to do that. Like he was saying, um, the brother white boy, I can't call white boy's name for nothing right now, um, but there's a story out that just came out Aaron, in the Aaron Johnson. Aaron Johnson. Aaron y'all Johnson. Know, yeah. Um, if y'all go online right now to the Source magazine, y'all going to see that a brother in the Alabama prison system, one of our comrades, well, one of our brothers out of Halifax County filed a $150 million lawsuit against ABC News and 50 Cent them about the movie The Life that's a, or Life or whatever it is that they got, the, the little series that was out. He said they stole his story. They stole his life story. He sued them for $150 million. And now that story is trashing his, you know, his pictures all over the news, and his story is getting out there. But you got to – and that, he's just showing you that you got to think outside the box. You gotta be innovative. You can't just sit in and keep doing the same thing you've been doing over and over and over and over and think that you're gonna get a different result. That's why we coming with this idea. Like Kennedy said, there are other ideas out there. If you have an idea that you think is better, we'll we we'll be happy to hear it. And if you can free us, you know what I'm saying, then by all means do what you do. But until that idea is presented, until someone shows us something different, this is what we have. This is what we putting on the table. And we can show you success stories, and we can show you more than one, and we can show it to you in more than different areas. We can show you how our social media platforms have gotten people out of prison. We can show you how the work strikes have gotten people out of prison, made changes, caused administrations to be changed. We can show you how our boycotts and stuff have made an impact on reducing the amount of the economics that's inside the prison system. We can show you how we've been affected. You know what I'm saying? And we're willing to accept other ideas. We're not saying that, you know, one, we just started to start a drink. We figured out what we can do that was the best ideas that we had at the time, and we're looking to expand and grow on them. You know what I'm saying? And we're willing to work with organizations that, yes. Yeah. 
Oh, I'm sorry, that was the background. Do we have any final caller? Uh, any final caller for tonight? Um, yeah, we yeah, do have um, one more hand up. Okay, go ahead and bring them on, Max, and whoever that is speaking in the queue, we'll let you close out after the final call. Thanks everyone for joining live from the plantation. We'll take the final call. Whoever that host was in the queue that was going to speak, you follow after the call, and then we'll be ready for next Thursday night. All right, two four four four. You are on live from the plantation. Hey everybody, this is Savannah calling from Texas. Um, I just wanted to add to the conversation. Um, I was listening to Brother Mikhail uh, speak. I think he spoke um, when you guys did the message to the hood, um, and he was speaking about how he was pushed toward. He felt like he was pushed toward getting a DD versus um, allowed, um, you know, to get a diploma. And I think a lot of the conversations um, that you guys had here tonight really speak to uh, the systemic issues of racism, not just in the criminal justice system, but the education system, and also healthcare. Uh, when you're talking about mental illness, um, and I've had a lot of conversations about this, uh, you know, jails and prisons being um, basically the number one mental health facilities in the nation. And you know, Harris County, where I live, actually. Uh, one in four of the 8,700 um, folks who are incarcerated in Harris County Jail um, have at least one mental health uh, condition. And so, you know, a lot of times men, you know, are conditioned not to be um, outspoken and not to speak up about certain things because, you know, it lends people to feel like they're uh, vulnerable. So um, I just wanted to say I appreciate uh, everyone for coming on and sharing their personal stories, and um, there's a lot of value in that um, in helping someone else to overcome. So um, I just wanted to add that to the conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Savannah, for real, for your support, sir. Connecticut's out. Does anybody else in the whole queue have something to say before we close up? Well, with that, man, hey, you know what it is. We yeah. love y'all. We appreciate y'all for supporting us. Live from the plantation, man. We'll see y'all again next Thursday at 7 Central Standard Time. And in the words of my brother, my comrade, Abu hey, hey, Alameen, freedom Before of you close it out, can I say one thing? Because I want to yes, hear sir. you close it out. But can I say yes, one sir. thing real quick? Be sure to tune in to Abolition today, this Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We're going to talk a lot about what your brothers were saying today. And there's a brother by the name of Sam Brown who is inside in California. We'll be playing his theory on emotional literacy-based criminology, which is uh, addressing directly what you guys are talking about. And also, if you want to make a donation, uh, you can go to abolishslavery.us and make a donation to help us keep this work going there. Thank you very much, brothers. There you go. Yeah, man, abolishslavery.us. Listen, man, the Abolition Society, Abolish Slavery National Network, Max Parsons, these people are putting on, man, listen, we need you to support them. Last week we had Max, uh, uh, Mark Charles, the abolitionist uh, presidential candidate. If you went and voted, you should have seen his name on the ticket with Donald Trump, and with, with Joe Biden, he was on the line with them last week, as long uh, as well with other abolitionists who are uh, running for congressional seats and who already hold congressional seats. 
there are a lot of players involved in this thing who are now aware and awake uh, and aware of our situation, and Max is the one making these connections. Max and his organization are the ones putting the pieces of the puzzle together and continuing to do the hard work of disseminating this information day in and day out. Please support them. Get them your aid. And with that, we peace out. We love y'all. See y'all next week. Freedom Adele. Can't